Her head is in the trunk, and he, he does goes not pose to the, a danger to himself he, or anyone else. He drives to the psych center to get his court evaluated psyche valve with a head in his trunk. <laughs> what the? F- Welcome to Talk Murder to Me, guys. We're excited to be back on this. What is now for you, Taco Tuesday? Yes. I was like, shoot, what day of the week is it? It's Thursday. It's Thursday. April 4th. Guys, I think that this drink is the best thing I've ever made. It looks freaking delicious. What is it? Cheers, everyone. So the hint was Bahama Mama. I mean, the hint was... <laughs> the hint was right. it really? <laughs> no, the hint was Mama. So, so what I made, podcast are you doing? I don't know. The hint was Mama, so I made Bahama Mamas. But I kind of got away from the recipe. And this is a Jen Collins original. This is a Jen. Well, it's a Bahama Mama, but it's not. It's like a Jen Collins Bahama Mama. It is uh, Malibu Toppers Dark Rum, Sprite Orange Pineapple Juice, and a dash of grenadine. And what I did was I added a banana and I blended it all up to make it frozen. Um, so, mm. I, yeah, I think it's the best. Mm-mm-mm. It's one of That's the best drinks we've smooth. had. I mean, there's not like a super lot of alcohol in there. Um, because we were running out of the Malibu and I didn't really measure anything, but not to the point. So it could be a lot of alcohol in here. We don't know. Uh, I mean, there's like two shots each when you do the math. So it's, yeah, and it's delicious. It is delicious. It's very good, Jim. Thank you. I'm glad you Well done. Well done. Um, so we have a couple Taco Supremos we got a shout out for joining us. We have Jessica. All right. Welcome, Jessica. Jessica. Jessica has commented and liked so many of her posts. Um, she gave us a designated shot that we needed to do called the Dead Nazi back when we were like very first started. Um, we haven't done that yet. No, no we, we did. Yeah, we, we did. did that. It was. Oh, yeah. um, it, remember, it was Jaeger and oh yeah, the yeah. Mint, it was and it better was better than I thought. It yeah, would be. it sounded like it was going to be nasty, but it was good. So Jessica has joined us as a Taco Supremo Thank you, from Jessica. Illinois, and her husband, by proxy, Alan, who's also a really big fan of the show, is a Taco Supremo as well. And Alan is now going to be our certified firearms, firearms web. Yeah, yeah, firearms. I was looking for the right word. Firearms expert on the show. Um, obviously, you guys know John has a little bit of experience, or we should say a lot of experience with firearms personally from his military background, but it's always good to have another um, resource that we can talk to on the podcast. So welcome, Jessica and Alan. Also, you guys rock. Um, happy anniversary to Chevette and Danny. They're celebrating in Ireland. Oh, oh cool. cool. Yeah. So and my mom is actually in Ireland, too. She had a trip. They didn't go on the same flight. But are they meeting up there in Ireland? I don't know. I saw that she was commenting. That's cool. I saw she commented on Danny's status. It was like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "Oh my god, mom, please stop. meet up." Oh yeah. Well, Ireland is fun. I've never been. I was supposed to go, and then I was robbed oh, of the opportunity. That's right. So I'm a little bitter. Dublin's a blast. Lots of live music. It's a lot of fun. I just want to go and find an Irish man. Oh my god. Remember we talked to um our other taco supremo Ashley in Ireland said you I don't she doesn't think the guys would be right for you. She said they're all very short. 
I'll find a tall one. <laughs> Sorry. Where also, was I at the other day? Also and, an Englishman. Oh, I was or at the Aussie. post office. And there was this. Did we get any mail? There was this Asian guy that was like 6'5. Like so, Yao Ming? He was, no, he was, was like 7'11. huge. I was like, dang. So, like, <laughs> just because you go to Ireland and everyone's short doesn't mean there's not one guy that's super tall. I know that. I know that. Yeah. We're just, I'm just Did we get an email what at, in the post office? I didn't check. We, he forgot the key. You got to oh. leave the key in the car. I do want to point out that our Gypsy Rose episode is very popular. And I'm not alone. Shelby. Ah, uh, Shelby the Small Taco. known as Shelby the Small Taco, but now Taco's Primo. Shelby. Well, she's still Small Taco in, in our, our hearts. hearts. Um, she actually agrees with me. With the gypsy Rose should be out of prison. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't even be there. There's a petition going on. Did you there know? is a petition. I posted the petition link on the blog, but then I took it out because I want to be like impartial, you know? I don't think she's totally innocent. No, she like know. coordinated the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, she knew what she, she knew it was murder. It wasn't, it wasn't totally self-defense. So that's my opinion. Everyone's entitled to their own. That's my personal one. So you guys ready to get started? Hell yes. yeah. All right. The hint is mama. Mm. So oh, now I'm going to, now like, I've got Bohemian shit, Rhapsody stuck in like my head. way ahead of myself. What? Go ahead, Jen. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. It looks like blood. Blood? Like Richard Trenton Chase. Oh my god, what the fuck oh, was that? Wait, that is legit cough medicine. What the fuck? Ugh. Why were we drinking NyQuil? That is absolutely disgusting. Is that NyQuil for real? Why would you pick that? What is it? That, Campari. Yeah. Uh, Campari is disgusting. Why do people drink that shit? Did you drink that straight? Um, I remember having Campari when I was in Venice. It no. was, but it was like Campari with like wine. Ugh. Ugh. You know what that reminds me of? Eh. That, that uh, Dean Martin song. The Bray. Oh, Cantone. But I think of it when I think Campari. Oh. Campari. Oh. That was Awful. I regret that decision yeah. immensely. That sounds like me at multiple stages of my life. Oh, that was so gross. The hint is mama. So, Nicole, where are we going and who are we killing? I think we're going to the Midwest Great Plains area today. Mm-hmm. Light showers. <laughs> and thinking, <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? Possible overcast. No, that reminds me of Anchorman. Everything <laughs> reminds us of Anchorman. I know. I fucking love that movie. Um... I'm feeling like tonight we're going to an AS state. I don't know if we're going to Kansas or if we're going to Arkansas. I don't know. I'm going to say Arkansas. I don't know why. I'm Kansas, Arkansas, something. And we've got a situation. <laughs> a situation. A situation. A murder situation. It's going to be a murder. Yes. Did you know that this is called Talk Murder to me? Yeah. No. Um, What's where that? Where a... I, I, I was going to say like a mom that kills like her kids. Oh, that's what I was going to say. No, you can say that because I'm, ki- I'm kind of thinking like Like no. a Lorraine Bobbitt situation or what no, was her name? No, Bobbitt was the one that cut the penis off her husband. Oh, really? Yes. 
Who's the one that drowned her kids? Uh, I don't know, but I was thinking of that case or also maybe Casey Anthony. I freaking am so excited for this episode. It's going to be one of my favorites. April 24th, 1973. We're in the Santa Cruz Police Department. Incoming call comes in. Ring, ring, ring. ring. He, the, a police officer picks up. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> And now the call. What, what was that? That was like freestyle and DJ yeah. police. The beatbox caller yeah. picks up. <laughs> the caller is calling from Pueblo, California, and the cops actually think it's a prank call. And in fact, the caller has a call back numerous times. He says, Listen, I need someone to come pick me up. I'm at a phone booth in Pueblo, California. I've killed eight women. Oh, my goodness. Can someone please pick me up? And they were like, uh, stop calling, stop pranking us. He kept calling what? back. And the only way that they believed him is he would he would name some of the police officers there. He said, let me talk to Lieutenant so-and-so. Oh, was he a cop? So Santa Cruz Police Department calls Pueblo Police Department. And they're like, hey, can you go get this guy? He's at a phone booth. He's in your town. And just hold him until we get there. And then we'll take him. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Thinking it was a prank call situation. I mean, they, they still don't know for sure. Okay. It's like this one guy's calling and he's in a phone booth mm-hmm. in Pueblo, California. Can you just go put him in the back of your cop car and or whatever you got to do? And then our guys at Santa Cruz come pick him up and take him back home. Sure, whatever. Now, the cops pull up. There's two. They pull up to this phone booth. Literally, the guy is in a phone booth. The two cops get out. They kind of go around the side, and then the door of the phone booth swings open. He gets out of the phone booth, 6'9", 300 pounds. This guy is a freaking monster. He's so big that he puts his hands on top of the phone booth. Like, think about a phone booth. Oh, my like, gosh. Like in, the, in New York City or something. You know how tall they are. His hands are on top of him as they're searching him for weapons. That's how big this dude is. Okay? And... The policeman says, all right, you said you killed eight people. What's your name? And then the guy looks at him and says, my name is Edmund Kemper, (gasps) and I am the co-ed killer. Oh, (laughs) yes, Edmund Kemper. Yes. Okay. Edmund Kemper. I know nothing about Edmund Kemper except for the fact that we have a sticker of him. (laughs) This isn't her story. I got her story in, in the docket, but I want to dedicate this story to Karina because... Number one, she requested the the uh, Edmund Kemper sticker for her, and because she said that Cameron Britton, the guy on Mindhunter that plays Edmund Kemper, mm-hmm. is like one of her favorite actors. So oh, cool! And this episode is going to be filled with psychology, and you guys are going to love it. She's going to love it. All you listeners are going to love it. You're going to hear a lot from Ed Kemper himself. Ooh. There's got a lot of audio in this episode. 300 pounds. He's as wide as the phone booth. Wow. You have to, I'll yeah. show you a picture of him in a little bit. He's a monster. He's big. Yeah. And when he's walking with his shackles, he looks twice as tall as a regular police officer's. Like, just overpowering big. Hmm. Like, enormous. All right, so what do you guys know about Edmund Kemper before Nothing. we get started? He had a... He has a mustache. ...fascination with women's shoes. No, no, he did not. That was Jerry Brudos. That's not what happened to Mindhunter, was it? That's not Edmund Kemper, I'm sorry. Okay, well, Netflix, you have fooled me. 
Well, Netflix gets a lot of things wrong. Well, then I don't really know much about him except that he was like very like friendly to yeah John. Whatever his name is. John Douglas. Yeah. A little bit of background before we get started. We're reading from the book, Whoever Fights Monsters, is by Robert K. Ressler. Now, if you've watched Mindhunter, then you'll... I think it's the first or the second episode. It's the first serial killer they actually interview, and that's true in real life. The great thing about him is he actually helped the FBI out tremendously because when they started the behavioral unit at the FBI... They weren't actually supposed to go. Like they never got clearance or anything to go interview serial killers. Like the FBI didn't. But Edmund Kemper was the first one they approached, and he gave so much information about how the mind works and how, of serial killers that it really took the program off to a new level. So I don't think if it was if it wasn't for Edmund Kemper, I don't think the behavioral science unit at FBI would have been as successful. So if you watch Mindhunter, you'll see him like the first episode. Hmm. So Robert Ressler and John Douglas covered would interview him. And there's extensive interviews on Edmund Kemper, which is great for this because I'm going to play a lot of audio. Okay, so the hint was Mama. And the reason I, I chose Mama instead of Mother and stuff like that, if you look at the etymology of the word Mama compared to Mother... Mama is like the first thing you say is like a baby. Mama. Yeah. And plus I like Queen, I love that Queen song. You. Mama. But the whole t- I care. That's a reference to Spice Girls. Now, do you guys remember Ted Bundy when Yes. He, How uh, could we forget <laughs> Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy was basically killing his ex girlfriend uh, over and Ted? over and over and over, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You guys got that reference. Yes. Now Ed Kemper. Is the same way, but instead of his girlfriend, he's killing his mother over and over and over and over and over. Oh, interesting. This guy's got major mommy issues. Major. That's why I picked. I mean, there's no other hint I could have picked. Mama is the one. So, anyway. Ooh, that kind of makes me nervous about why he's targeting his mother. What do you mean? Because didn't, actually, didn't Ted Bundy have some sort of, no. No. Well, his mother was his, they said his mother was his sister. Right. I'm thinking of another killer that we covered where the mother was sexual. Did they base, um, did they base Norman Bates off of Edmund Kemper? Yeah. Norman Bates and, um, Silence of the Lamb. A lot of things are based off Edmund Kemper. Yeah. So. Do you guys not do you guys cannibal? not know anything about the Edmund Kemper and his mom? I don't know. Okay. I'm gonna say this right now. I'm closing this podcast at the very climax with him murdering his mother. Okay. Because I, I want you guys to understand, like, he's killing people because of his mom. And that's the only reason he's killing people. Hmm. Okay. So but tell. we started at the very end, right when he got caught. So he had already killed everyone and he turned himself in. He turned himself in. He called the Santa Cruz Police Department and said, hey, I'm done. And that was three days after he killed his mother. And you guys are not going to like how that one goes. But... I can only imagine. Yeah. So he's done killing forever. Because he killed his mother. He killed... He he completed his mission He kills his mom last. Why didn't he start with his mom if his whole problem with his mom? Oh, in some of his interviews, he regrets killing everyone else because... The issue was with his mother? We could have just had all... But he didn't realize that it was his mother. It's really weird. The psychology is crazy. Anyway. Is this kind of like when you're um, you're a guy and you 
subconsciously want to be with someone who's like your mother. That's all. That's that's Freudian. That's all, guys. When you're a little girl, so you, that's oh, that's Oedipus in Electra complex. Not that you want to, but you want to be with somebody like your mother who takes care of you, like your. Oh mother. yeah, that's just general. Yeah, yeah. like and that happens Oedipus, with girls too, with fathers. Yeah. Edmund Kemper was born December eighteenth, nineteen forty-eight. Mm, very close to my birthday. You were born in nineteen forty-eight. Through his childhood, his entire childhood, he was living with parents who were very unstable. Their marriage was awful, really awful. And I'm going to kind of get back to that, but I do want to jump to when he's fifteen years old right now. You know, for clickbait reasons. Well, not clickbait. You already listened to it. August 27th, 1964, he's living with his grandparents' house. He's living on his grandparents' farm. Because his parents are so because his, unstable. his mother doesn't want him. His father doesn't want him. So his mom just hands him off to the grandparents. That's and sad. he's on their farm right now. Now, he's 15 years old. A little bit about his mother and her mother, so his grandmother. They were very domineering. They would always belittle him. You know, nag, nag, nag. They were very tall, like Edmund was, and they were just overpowering. I mean, there's a reason why Edmund's mother had multiple divorces. She was just so hard to get along with. She was so domineering, so commanding. The grandmother was sitting at the table working on a children's book that she was writing. Okay, so she was just sitting there. Edmund comes in. Once upon a time, there was a serial killer named Edmund. (laughs) Edmund comes in, and he recently got his twenty-two rifle, twenty-two caliber rifle, taken away because he was shooting birds and you know stuff animal like cruelty. That. Yep. Yeah, he, there was some animal cruelty. Yeah. So his grandmother was berating him, saying, "Don't you be shooting those birds." And then that that day, August twenty-seven, nineteen sixty-four. Don't you be shooting those birds? He just, oh, uh, that was it. That was it. In his mind, it clicked. Did he kill his grandmother? He went and he grabbed that twenty-two caliber rifle, and his grandmother sitting there writing, once upon a time, there was a bear, like a children's book. <laughs> he puts that damn rifle barrel right up to the back of her head, and he pulls the trigger. <gasps> right in the back of grandma's head. Grandma okay. was run over by a reindeer. What? Was it empty or was it loaded? Oh, it was very much loaded. And if that didn't kill her, which it most likely did, he shot her another two times in the <gasps> back. Oh, Jesus. Now, at this time, the grandfather... That's excessive. The grandfather had just given him this rifle about a month earlier. Oh, that was probably a mistake. Yeah, because he wanted to teach him how to shoot and shoot squirrels, stuff like that. They're chewing up wires, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the grandfather at this this time was actually at the grocery store. So the grandmother was home writing her children's book. The grandpa was out getting groceries. Edmund Kemper just killed his... 74-year-old grandmother in the back of the head with a rifle. Now, she's slumped over the table. And this is kind of the psychology of what you're going to be seeing. Edmund really liked his grandpa, like, a lot. You know, he gave him the rifle. He taught him how to shoot. You know, he didn't ber- Well, he was also him. probably, like, a father figure if his mom had yeah. been mo- divorced multiple times. Yeah, exactly. He was a father figure. So it just... It just makes sense mm-hmm. that when Grandpa was walking in with the groceries, Edmund Kipper's like, I don't want Grandpa to see his wife dead slumped over the table. So he shot Grandpa, too. Killed Grandpa dead right on the oh, steps. fuck? Oh, my God. <laughs> this is when he's 15. 15 years old. Uh, 
He kills both of them. And then he calls his mom. Mama, I just killed the grandparents. What do I do? Were they her parents? Yeah, they were her parents. She says, call a sheriff. So he did. He calls a sheriff. <laughs> he tells a sheriff. I, he, like, nor in most stories, it ends there. Okay, he calls the sheriff. <laughs> yeah. All right, time to go to prison, buddy. No, yeah, he was. Well, so he calls the sheriff, and the sheriff's like, all right, why did you kill your grandpa? And Edmund Kemper says, because I didn't want him to walk in, see his dead wife, and have a heart attack. Like what the fuck? <laughs> so you killed him. You you put him out yeah. of his misery. I don't <laughs> understand. Being killed. I don't know. Like... Yeah. Um. So he's 15 at the time. He is sent to the Atascadero State Hospital, which you'll hear him talk about. This is December 6, 1964. He just killed his grandfather and his grandmother. Now he is initially sent to the juvenile home, but the California Youth Authority. They were trying to decide what to do with him because they never ran into a situation like this. I mean, he's not. The thing about Edmund Kemper is he's not crazy. He's not a psych. He's not. Um, hang on. <laughs> well, he's not like split personalities. He's not in psychosis. Well, in in 1964, there's a lot less knowledge of what makes up a mental illness. Like there wasn't as much research done as it is today mental illness was treated much differently in the 60s True. than so it maybe, was today so maybe back then he didn't have a mental illness but today maybe he does so right is that like when edmund kemper was asked and when he was asked this a dsm 2 was out when he was asked this and we're at five now the investigator asked him hey where do you fit in in this manual in the dsm the investigator asked him that well that no the the psych psych about but still they asked him that yeah the police asked I, i'm gonna get into this but he's he's you don't ask someone where they fit in on the dsm that's just asking for trouble but like where do you fit in oh i don't this guy is different i'm telling you just let me the the evaluator asked him where do you fit in here because i mean he fits nowhere in there and he said i've i've read the dsm the entire thing i don't fit anywhere in there but i'm the reason i'm opening up my brain and my mind and talking to everyone is so I can fit in there. And he said, well, wish addition. And Edmund Kemper said, by the time you guys fit me in there, I'll be long gone. It'd be on like DSM 10, DSM 12. By the time you guys actually put a space for someone like me. Is there not something in there like him? No, there's nothing in there right now for him. And really? that, that's one of the great things he did for the FBI program. I'm going to embed all the interview videos of Edmund Kemper on talkmer.com. I encourage you guys, if you have an hour or two free, watch it. It's very interesting. He literally holds nothing back, and he's trying to dig into his own psyche. He's not trying to impress anyone or anything. So he ha he helped the program out tremendously. Now, he was diagnosed by the juvenile hall. The California Youth Authority It was the... The organization that took kids in like this. But the thing is, they never came across someone that just killed his own grandparents. And then when they asked him why did he kill grandpa, oh, because I didn't want him to have a heart attack. That's not something in the DSM. That's not something they ever came across. He's not a psycho killer. He's just a weird 
thing that has never existed. He's like a unicorn in the serial killer world. They diagnosed him as being a passive-aggressive type and also as a paranoid and uh, psychotic type. I-, I told you a little bit about his mother, but on intense recommendations, intense recommendations from the mental hospital Atascadero, he was actually rehabilitated. Now, he spent five years in that place. He was 15 when he got there, December 6, 1964, age 15. He goes to State Hospital. It's like a mental hospital. Mm. But the thing is, he didn't even fit in there. This guy's got a 136 IQ. He's not split personalities. He's not in psychosis. And he's in a mental ward. He doesn't fit in with those people. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. He's not a lunatic. It's interesting that he goes by Edmund. Yeah. Well, he also goes by Big Ed. Edmund. Big Ed. No, people go by Edmund. He's actually Edmund Kemper III, so his dad was Ed, too. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So we were talking about this the other day. If you, like, at what point can you not change? All right, so Is the family too far down the path? If you're you're Edmund III and then your son's like, no, I want to be Benjamin instead of Edmund or Jonathan, then you're just a dick. Because or naming your son that, yes. Instead of being like Jonathan, yeah. Instead of being Edmund the Fourth, you're going to name your son Jonathan or something. He's going to ruin the whole tradition. Like, what a dick! Why would you? you well, what? I don't know because like when it gets to that point, like fourth and fifth and sixth, like that's kind of a you lot. You have to do it though. No, I mean I think you can put but, uh, is, the name Edmund in in the middle, middle name? name. Yeah. No, but you don't want. I'm saying at what point. Will you feel like a dick? Are you the asshole? Are you the asshole for breaking that family tradition? I think you're fine if it's just if it's just two. But once you get to three, yeah, I think the third. I think if you're the third territory, if you're the third of anything, I think you you should keep going. Fourth, you got to keep going. I think you have to keep going. I don't think I've ever met anyone that's more than like. No, there's someone on Daniel Island with the fourth, (laughs) and he has it on his car. He has a Jeep car that's like. Purely for advertisement. It's purposes. not cheap. Yeah, it is. It's cheap. That is not Jeeps are not cheap. It's, no, she said. I Jeep. said it's a Jeep. Oh, I thought you said a cheap car. I was like, well, no, I said it's a Jeep car, and it's that's not literally a, a Jeep car. It's a Jeep. It's not a Jeep car. Okay, There's no... it's a Jeep. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> there's cars, there's Got trucks, it. and then there's Jeeps. Okay. Okay, I used to own two Jeeps. Okay. I want a Jeep. It's I think a... I want that to be my next car. No, it's not a car. It's a Jeep. <laughs> I think I want that to be my next automobile. Automobile. Either a Jeep or a newer <laughs> XC90 because I love my car. I love my car, too. Now, you don't buy American cars. All right, so I'll get another XC90, but it'll Her... cost me like... A bunch of money. You need to get an Infinity. That's I just like an expensive Infin- Nissan. I like the Infinity SUVs. Excuse me? Nissan and Infinity are the same company. No, they're not. Yes, I mean, they, they are. They use the same engine. Nissan and Infinity are the same, it's, just like uh, Lexus and Toyota are the same, and Honda yeah, and Acura are the same. an upgraded version. A luxury version. I, why are you making fun of my damn Infinity, I'm not Jen? making fun of it. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just stating a fact. Okay, so anyway, there's this guy on Daniel Island whose Jeep is solely used for advertisement purposes. It's parked on seven farms. Oh, seven farms, yeah. And it sits there, and it has a picture of 
Well, he's B an insurance. the Ford. He's an insurance agent. And it's plastered all over the car with his picture for all state insurance. I got paroled to my mother. A Tascadero decided that I didn't ever need to talk to her again at all. Don't give her a Christmas present. Leave her alone. She got her pound of flesh out of you. I wasn't sniveling about my mother to them. I didn't like to hear what they had to say about her. She went through three husbands like a hot knife through butter. When Four months it? after I was out, I was back into the fantasy bag. He was back in the fantasy bag? Back in the fantasy bag. So when he was growing up, now let's go through his timeline real quick of growing up. Now, he wanted to kill his mother since he was eight years old. Wow. He started killing animals, small animals, mm. and his his home life was atrocious. His dad and his mom did not get along. They eventually got divorced, and that kind of sent him overboard. But his mother was extremely domineering, berated him the whole time. And, in fact, so Edmund Kemper was the middle child of two sisters. So it was him and... Three women in the house, right? Including the mother. Yeah. I'm saying I've wanted to kill my mother since I was eight years old, and I'm not proud of that. It started with surrogates at at a non-human level. Physical objects, Mm -hmm. my possessions, other people's, destruction of things that are cared about, and then destruction of things that are living on a lower level, small animals, uh, insects, animals, and then finally people. When he was 13, his parents finally divorced, now, his dad, he fought in the war, and he said he would rather be on the front lines for years than have to be with his wife. That's how bad wow. she was. Okay. Now, I when, hope, like, if I ever get into a relationship that I'm not that bad. I don't think I'm domineering anyway, but I hope that no one compares wanting to be at war rather than being in a relationship <laughs> with me. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like what it feels like now, considering I've been single my entire life, but... <laughs> Now, when he was growing up, one of the things he remembers, which he'll talk about, is the daughter slept upstairs with the mother. And then Edmund Kemper, because of his size and because the mother thought he would try to sexually abuse his sisters, he was actually living in the basement. His Wait, his mother thought that he was sexually abusing his sister. No, his mother said because of his size, he could potentially, eventually sexually abuse him or something. So he wasn't. He, she was no, just he, like No, he preventing. wasn't. He never had. But. That's a weird presumption to make. Though. But you got to understand his brother. mother was just a, a heartless person. She hated him. Hated him. In fact, one of, the things, one of the things she kept saying to him, because of you. Or, quote, because of you, my murderous son, I haven't had sex in seven years. Seven years, she said. I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son. Wow. Well, maybe maybe her distaste for him, like, had to do with the fact that she didn't have a successful relationship with men. Maybe because of that, she started to despise her own son. Mm-hmm. Well, they, she hated men, and and Edmund grew up hating women. But in fact, he just hated his mother. Here, listen. And if it had been in a city, I would have been a mass murderer at age 15. I would have killed until they gunned me down. I wouldn't have been able to reason my way out of it. I was scared to death, and I was violent. I felt my back hit that wall. I was the rabbit that always ran, that always backed away, always burned his bridges. And suddenly, there weren't any more. And I, my back hit that wall, and I came out screaming and kicking and shooting. Let me talk a little bit about his MO. His, his childhood was freaking awful. You guys understand that. Yeah. He killed his grandparents. 
And he killed six co-eds. That's why he got the name co-ed killer. Okay. What do you mean co-ed? Women. Women. Uh, women. Yeah. Girls in college. College girls. Okay. Yeah. He killed six, six co-ed girls. Now, so he would kill the girls and then he would right. decapitate them. Oh, no. And he would actually cut the arms and the feet off. And he would actually sleep with the head for several days. <gasps> Or just listen to him say it. Maybe it's better if he just tells you. But I was losing a grasp on something that was too violent to keep inside forever. As I'm sitting there with a severed head in my hand, talking to it. What the fuck? Or looking at it. And I'm about to go crazy, literally. I'm about to go completely flywheel loose and just fall apart. I say, wow, this is insane. And then I told myself, no, it isn't. You're saying that. And that makes it not insane. I said, I'm sane, and I'm looking at a severed... I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see old paintings and drawings of Viking heroes talking to severed heads and taking them to parties, old enemies in leather bags, part of our heritage. Kemper told the interviewer, multiple interviewers, that he built up these, quote, rages inside of him. He just got... I was raging inside. There was just incredible energies, positive and negative. Uh, depending on a mood that would trigger one or the other. And outside, I looked troubled at times. Other times, I looked moody. Uh, other times, perfectly serene. Not very sane. But again, people weren't even aware of what was happening. He would pick up hitchhikers, and back then in mm. the 70s, hitchhikers was like, a very huge common, thing, yeah. very common. Now we got Ubers, but we don't. We didn't have that back then. So he was kidnapping women, university students at Santa Cruz. His mother was an administrative assistant there, so he actually had a university sticker on his car, which let him get access to the campus and everything else. Mm. And at one point, because he was kidnapping so many women, the university said, don't hitchhike with anyone unless they have a campus sticker on their car. And he did because his mother worked there. And mm, they didn't know that. Yeah. Oftentimes he would go pick his mother up from work. You were involved in the campus because your mother worked there. Yes. I was also involved in killing co-eds because my mother was associated with college work, college co-eds, women, and had had a very strong and violently outspoken position on men. This is a an excerpt from the Santa Cruz Sentinel on December 17th, 1972. It describes a police officer and, quote, she, in the article, it says a pert young woman herself. Pert? Pert, yeah. Isn't that a shampoo brand? Mm-hmm. All right, from the paper, she gives a few uh, pointers about hitchhiking. If you must hitchhike, Officer Billingsley had these suggestions for avoiding trouble or getting out of it. First, try to take a ride from a female motorist. Never get in a car with two or more guys in it. Don't get in a vehicle where you can't see what's in the back. There might be four guys hiding behind the curtain in one of those big vans just waiting to pounce. You don't know what's one back there. One of those there. big vans. Yeah. Never give your address or your phone number. Before you get in a car, see that it has door handles. Some guys just cruise around looking for girls. Some take the door handles off, and then you are in a trap. Try to keep your head 
That's what it says. Try to keep your head. Try to remember the license number of the car and a good description. That's a very ominous, ominous try to keep your head. Try to re- oh yeah. Try to remember the license number of the car and a good description of the driver. Some drivers are drunk. Don't take a ride from them if you smell liquor. Remember, you don't have to take the first ride that comes along. If you get into trouble, look for other ways to escape. Okay, so the reason that's important for the hitchhikers is because a lot of them were going missing and a lot of them were getting murdered. And Edmund Kemper was not the only serial killer working. That's the term they use, working in Santa Cruz at that time. There was one, Herbert Mullen, which they actually went to prison and they were almost bunkmates. They were living right beside each other. He was a serial killer doing the same thing at the same time period. So there was a lot of university students going missing and getting murdered. Well, that must have been convenient for Kemper as well because it took attention away from him maybe initially if they like... Well, the thing about Kemper, no, there was no attention on him. If he didn't turn hmm. himself in, he would have never got caught. Wow. But I meant, I mean, like, when he was thinking, well, they could, like, if he if he was ever concerned about being caught, it's like, well, someone else is out there doing this, too, so maybe they won't yeah. look for me. Yeah. That same summer of 1972, when Kemper picked up these two potential victims on the highway, a woman researcher named Cameron Smith was picking up female hitchhikers at Berkeley and asking them to fill out a questionnaire. According to the report of her work in Ward Domino's book about Santa Cruz murders, Miss Smith discovered that 24% of those hitchhikers she interviewed had been raped while hitchhiking. Another 18% had been attacked, while 27% told her that they'd been subjected to attempted rapes or perverse acts. Only about a third had completed their rides without incidents. Twenty, Almost 25% yeah. of females that have hitchhiked... Like, why the fuck would you ever hitchhike? ...had been raped before. Because hitchhiking was not just, oh, I got to get a ride. It was more of a free spirit thing back in those days, too. You know, there's... Um, it's not so much of a free spirit thing if you're getting raped. But... No, the, the the girls that were... They were like flower children, like getting, you know, free spirit. Oh, I'll go anywhere the wind blows me kind of thing. Well, I'm serious. That's what it was. On May 7th, 1972, he picked up Anita Luchase and her friend, Mary Ann Pesk. He drove to a kind of secluded area. But I'm going to add something in. Like, even if I was hitchhiking, I don't think I would get in a car with Edmund Kemper. Why? Because he's like this big dude. He's unkempt. Uh Kemper. He's a big dude. He has a mustache. He's scary looking. He's like his hair's all messed up. But he also kind of looks like a nerd. So maybe you'd think he's harmless. I don't know. I don't know. He do- well, you're right. He doesn't. I'm look- just trying to put like you know how we're talking about like you see what you want to see type stuff. Yeah, but I mean, he doesn't look menacing. But like, I wouldn't hitchhike. Period. But yeah, I agree. He is big. Like he's yeah. a big dude, and so that's something that you. I I think most females consider at least nowadays. While he, while in my mind, I think he might look like a nerd. If yeah. he's like, if he's six nine, three hundred pounds, like he could overpower me, no problem. And that's probably some, the biggest thing that'd be in the back of your mind. Yeah. Like, mm, if this is wrong, can I escape? Can I take him? Yeah. And if it was like some scrawny dude, it'd be like, yeah, I got this. But that, mm-mm. well, so he would use different um, techniques to get the women in. And one of the like, interviews, would you like some candy? No, well, yeah, well, <laughs> in one of the interviews, he pulled up and Candygram. 
the woman was like, hey, I need to go to Berkeley. And he looked at his watch almost like I got an appointment kind of thing. Like, so she kind of it disarmed her because she was like, oh, he's not going to kill me because obviously he's got an appointment. Does that make sense? So he would use different techniques like huh. this. To pick That's up women. Interesting. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I could see that too. Yeah. Like, so he oh, would, he's got somewhere to be. Like exactly. Yeah. He's just doing me a favor. Yeah, exactly. So he would use mm-hmm. different things like that. May seventh, nineteen seventy-two. Not his first time. Not the grandparents. First time killing Feels them. Feels like the first time. First time. First time killing two co-eds. And the thing about Edmund Kemper is he picks two up at a time. And most serial killers only kill one at a time. He's just going. He was so big, he could do both. Yeah, but not only that, he almost gave the girls a sense of security. Like, oh my gosh, like there's someone else with me. We'll be okay. Mm, yeah, yeah. Good point. May seventh, nineteen seventy two. He picks up a a girl named Anita and her friend Mary. Now he takes them to a secluded spot, handcuffs Anita in the back seat, and then forcefully Mary is trying to get out. But he would take little things of chapstick, you know, the chapstick, and he yeah. would shove it in the door lock. Oh. So they can't actually open the door, and he he's yelling at him. He says, "Listen, if you guys cooperate, I'm just going to rape you, and then you'll be okay. Everything will be okay." So they were almost that's reassuring. I'm just going to rape you. They were almost cooperating with him. Now Anita was tied in the back seat. He opens his car door and he walks around to Mary's side, the passenger side, pulls her out, takes her to the woods. And he stabs her to death, cuts her throat. Okay. Well, that's different than the shotgun ammo with his grandparents. Exactly. Well, he didn't want to use the gun. He just bought a new gun, but he didn't want to use it. Easier to trace? Because the bullets can be traced. And so he used a knife that he had bought. Now, the knife was kind of shitty. I'll get into that. He cuts her throat. Then he goes back to the car and he says... To the other girl that's screaming, she just thinks she's going to be raped. So she doesn't even, it's not even in her mind that she's about to get murdered. He says, listen, your friend got smart with me, so I punched her in the face, broke her nose. She's really bad hurt. You need to come help. Now, she's dead. He literally just cut her throat in the woods, but Anita doesn't know that. So he says, just come and help. It's like he didn't want he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. He didn't want to seem like the bad guy. He didn't want to seem like the bad guy. So she gets out. But it was also like a trick. Yeah, it was well, a trick. Yeah. Now she's still tied up. Her hands are tied. She gets out of the car. Kemper pushes her in the trunk of his car. Now he draws a big blue. It looks like a um, an old cop car. In fact, he bought it. Because like a Victoria? Yeah, exactly. He bought it because it looks like a cop car. He pushes her in the trunk and begins to stab her. Wee, wee, now wee. she, Anita still doesn't, it doesn't go through her mind yet that she's about to get murdered. And in fact, she was wearing these big overalls and the knife was so shitty that it wouldn't even go through the overalls. Hmm. But eventually it did. He stabbed her, kept stabbing her, stabbing her, stabbing her. And then he shuts the trunk and he's like, fuck. I think I just locked the keys in the trunk. Now, he's in the middle of nowhere. He pulled off the side of the road because he told him he was going to rape him. Now, he's locked the keys in the trunk. He's got a dead girl in the woods. This is a bad experience, Yeah, this is his first go-around. He's got a dead girl in the woods. He's got a dead girl in the trunk. His keys are locked in the trunk. i just gone through a horrible experience with her roommate stabbing her. And I was in shock because of that. I couldn't (laughs) believe that it was that way. 
And I'm walking back there bewildered. I gotta kill her. I can't let her go. She's gonna tell on me. Everybody's gonna get me. She sees the blood on my hands. What are you doing? And she pulled back and she gasped. And I think, whoa, I don't want her to know what happened. I said, your friend got smart with me. She'd been getting really smart with me a lot, but I never hit her. I killed her, but I didn't hit her. I said, your friend got smart with me and I hit her. I think I broke her nose. You better come help. She's about to die. Why, do, why does she have to know that? I couldn't deal with telling her that. And when I attacked her, she didn't at first realize what was happening. It didn't go through. She had very heavy coveralls on. It knocked her right up into the lid of the car, but it didn't pierce the clothing. So it wasn't that swell a knife anyway. I went out and bought a, a pawn shop huge knife. And uh, I kept on just mindlessly attacking. She falls back into the trunk. I just killed a young woman. I slammed down the lid of the trunk. She isn't dead. She's dying. And I panicked. I thought, I just locked the car keys in it because I can't find them in my pocket. Oh, my God, I locked them in the trunk. I'm kicking on the trunk lid and yanking on it. Oh, no, I don't believe this. I started to run, and I tripped over the gun that I'd had in my pants that I had totally forgotten was there. I stopped. I said, stop and think. I collected my wits. Check all your pockets. I picked the gun up. I stuck it back in my pants, now remembering I had one. I checked all my pockets, and there's the keys in the back pocket. I never put them in my back pocket. It is interesting to see him kind of go through, like you can see him react to those things. And yeah. It does take a different spin. Mm, very interesting to see him. After he got out of Atascadero State Hospital, he wanted to become a police officer, but... Mm, probably not the best career path. Well, his mother actually... I don't think that would be allowed, actually. Well, his mother actually, when he got out, the only good thing she's ever done for him is get his record expunged. So the reason... He, How? I don't know. The reason... Because he was a juvenile, maybe. I don't know. The reason he couldn't you be... You didn't kill your grandparents. It's fine. The reason he got denied to be a police officer is because he was too tall. The weight standard was like 230 for a guy of his size, and he was pushing 300. So he's way too tall and too big to be a police officer. So he worked for the Depart Department of Transportation instead. He was, you know, the flag guy mm -hmm. on the construction site. He did that. Now, I want to say he actually bought a police-looking motorcycle, and he had, like, a badge and everything. He, he bought a police-looking car, which is what he would drive up in. And not only that, he would hang out at this little local pub called the Jury Room, which is where all the cops hung out. He would kill the girls. He would take them home. He would cut off the head and the hands, like all the body parts. And he would have sex with every body part. So like the oh arm. Oh, my Think about God. like the arm. Like no way. Putting it in the arm. Like it's weird. It's really weird. Isn't there a bone in there? Yeah, there is. He's, he's bone in the bone. Yeah, I that's know. gross. Ew. Wait, I've. I think this is a talk murder to me first. No, Richard Chinn Chase. He did not bone other body parts. What did you guys think I was gonna do? He's cutting the heads off. He might as well have sex with the head. Well, yeah, he has sex with the head, but he has sex with the other body parts, which I thought was really like, interesting. No one's ever done that. That's that exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is a talk more to me first. Also, they wouldn't have sex with the head. 
Unless you mean like they'd stick it Oral, in the mouth? Yeah. This... Do you think he stuck it in the mouth or he stuck it in like the esophagus hole? Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't know. I guess the mouth. There was that one horror movie I was but watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's rigor mortis at that point. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Okay, I don't now, even want to think about that. That's so gross. His MO is basically this. He would go home and he was still living with his mother even though he got an apartment. He lived in an apartment three times before he got locked up. But he couldn't afford the rent most of the time. He was a flag guy at the construction site. He couldn't really afford the rent, even though he had a roommate. So some of the murders, he would take the bodies back to his mom's house, dissect them in his room, all what? this stuff. And then other ones he would take to his apartment when he had it. Oh, can were you the, imagine? Were the like 10 people... Taking... Yeah, so it was six. It was six co-eds. So the and he so did this. Ten to everyone. was including his grandparents and his mom. Yes, that's nine, right? There's one more too. I'll get oh. to the girls Anita and Mary. They got their heads cut off. He would ride around in the car with the the heads, and eventually, a few days later. I mean, you heard him say he would pull the heads out every once in a while and talk to him and stuff like that. Now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying what he said. You heard him say that. Oh now he would actually ride around in his car with the heads in the trunk. And in fact, more than one time, he went to the jury room where he hung out with all. The jury room was a bar where all these off-duty police officers would hang out. So that's how he knew all these guys by name. Yes, exactly. And that he would befriend them. Like they were good friends. Everyone loved Ed. He's a nice guy. They called him Big Ed. They'd buy him beers. Ed would buy the cop spears you know and then he would kind of get insights of what's going on who's missing all that stuff now a couple of times he actually went to the pub with the head in his trunk mm. and when they're sitting at the bar oh, you want to take a shot yeah sure hey i gotta run out to my car right quick i gotta check something he goes in there opens the trunk and just looks at the head do you know all right it's still good he goes back and gets a shot like nothing fucking happened these are cops that are in there and he's going and checking on a head yeah, this is truck. Like bizarre. Um, it is bizarre. So I can't do it any justice. So he really doesn't fit into anything that's in the DSM. No, he doesn't. And if you hear him, you, you'll understand why. As soon as I can build his profile up. You know what, the, what we were talking about as we're driving around? Almost as often as not, this guy that's going around doing this stuff. And the second they started talking that, they didn't realize it, but they were getting a free ride. I couldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole, I swear. You know. But they'd be telling me what all about this guy and they're comparing notes and speculating on what he looks like, how he carries himself, why he's doing this stuff, telling me about it. <laughs> so he wouldn't kill those people. Yeah, so Ed... So he didn't kill all the people that he... No, in fact, to. he drove around hundreds. I think it was 174, he said. Wow. Co-eds, college co-eds that didn't, didn't mur- he didn't murder... He was very... It's a lot of self-control, actually. All right, think about Ed. Yeah. He, he didn't have any good relationships because by the time he was 15, number one, in high school and junior high and all that stuff, he's too big, so none of the kids his age would hang out with him. Older kids wouldn't hang out with him because he's too young. He's just way too big. He's in a mental hospital at age of 15. He gets out when he's 21. When most kids like go through puberty and all that stuff, he's Have in a their freaking mental hospital. So he's driving around women almost like a social getting to like, hmm. you know. So he drove around hundreds of women. Was but... his first um, time having sex with was with a dead body? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He went all out. 
That was his first time having sex, though. I, I oh, I don't know if it's his first time having sex. I, I'm not sure. I, I never saw that. But he would get uh, closer to the murderer. So he would drive around once with the gun in the trunk. Then he would drive around with the gun in the glove box, you know, picking up women. Mm-hmm. Then he would drive around with the gun under his leg. And then that last one, uh, Anita and Mary, he drove around and actually did the what he was going to do. He had cut the heads off. And in fact, the the Santa Cruz beach there, there were people that actually found the heads float up on the beach. Oh, my God. Because he would take the heads. Now, he would cut them into three pieces. So if you're a victim of him, he would cut your head off. He would cut your arms off, almost like the Lady of the Dunes. Mm-hmm. And he would cut the torso. So it'd be three pieces. And he would take those body parts, which... I don't think we covered anyone that did this. And he would scatter them out. So he would put the head in the mountains. Or excuse me, he'd put the head in the water on the beach. He'd put like the 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 hands in the mountains, you know, and the torso like in a ditch. So you can't ever identify them because they're not all there. Hmm. It's fucking crazy, isn't it? That like what did he use to dismember oh, these bodies? Did he use like a power tool or was he just because he was so big and strong? Like yeah, he's, he's just using a knife. I mean, he's yeah. there. His mother's at home. He's like dissecting a freaking head. Like so his, his mom is at home? Yeah. Now his mom was an alcoholic and which fueled a lot of the problems. So she would come home real late, sloshed. The evolution of his MO goes from him realizing he's got to kill his mother. So the victims actually... Did they and, all look like his mom? No, they didn't. But the the last two before he actually killed his mother, he cut off the heads right in front of his mother's house out in the open. He's in his car cutting off the heads and his mother's inside. I was getting better at it. I was getting less detectable. I started flaunting that invisibility, severing a human head, two of them at night in front of my mother's residence with her at home. My neighbors at home upstairs, their picture window open, the curtains open, 11 o'clock at night, the lights are on. All they have to do is walk by, look out, and I've had it. So he's doing it kind of like... To get her attention? No. Uh, I don't know. He's just got mommy issues, man. Like, <laughs> some serious fucking mom issues. Yeah, no You know what I'm saying? If you're asking why Edmund Kipper would sever and keep the heads... Why did you keep the heads? Why did you cut them off, and why did you keep them? Something out of my childhood. Um, I could put it on an incident. I mean, my father chopping the heads off of our two pet chickens and my mother insisting that I eat them for dinner. Oof. Uh, (laughs) you know, we could say it was something that simple. I don't think it was. That may have implemented something. That may have gotten something rolling, but along fantasy lines. But it took a lot of years of development along those lines to really get off. The, The murders I just told you about, Anita and Mary, he took the heads back to his apartment and at one point, the landlady came to collect the rent, so he actually had to put the heads away, because he was he was literally talking to them, like they're friends. He put the heads away, maybe like, you know, in the dresser real quick, and then go talk to the landlady about the rent. Like, nothing happened. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I just was talking to a head in there. Mm-hmm. Now I gotta pay you rent. I mean, can you imagine talking to a head and then talking to a landlady? Like, that doesn't make sense to anyone but to edmund kemper it's natural he would take the heads 
in a, he would put him in a camera bag and walk up to his apartment. He passed a, a lovely couple. They were going on a date. And he was like, I wish I was going on a date. And then yeah. he said, hello, how are you guys? Are you guys having a good evening? He has a freaking severed head in a camera bag. And they're like, oh, yes, good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. He's just a nice guy. He's Big Ed. No one could hate him. Now, he was scared to death of talking to females. This is why he actually drove a lot of them around at first. He's just lonely. Well, I feel kind him? of bad for My frustration, him. my inability to communicate socially, sexually, I wasn't impotent. But emotionally, I was impotent. I was scared to death of failing in male-female relationships. I knew absolutely nothing about that whole area. Even if just sitting down and talking with the young lady. I need to be able to really communicate. And ironically enough, that's why I began picking people up. He because was, he wanted to have a conversation. Yeah, he's just a lonely guy. So, Nicole, why don't you I date him? No. <laughs> I'll buy myself. Don't want to be all by myself anymore. Okay, so let's go to another one. Now, this is, I'm going to show you a picture. This is 15-year-old... Mm. Aiko Cole, sorry if I'm saying her name wrong. She was an Asian ballet student. That is her right there. I'm putting up pictures on talkmer.com. He picked her up. So he didn't actually have a specific type he liked. Okay. You know, he kind of picked up anyone that he liked at the time, I guess you say. On September 14th, 1972, he picks up Aiko Cole, K-O-O. 15-year-old ballet student had missed her bus that night. And decided to hitchhike. She never does that. But, you know, just one time ain't going to hurt anybody, right? Now, he got into, she got into the car. They started driving. And then she sees the gun. And she starts freaking out. And he's trying to calm her down. She tries to, like, get out of the car. But she can't because he's got that chapstick trick in there, right? She can't get out of the car. She's screaming. He strangles her or tries to choke her with her own scarf. Then he gets out of the car to go around to the passenger side, and he locks himself out of the car with the <sighs> gun still in the car. Got out of the pa- He got out of the driver's seat, walks around to kill Aiko Ku, locks himself out of the damn car. He's not very good at this. Yeah, the gun is still in the car, okay? He convinces her to let him back in the car. Somehow, I don't know. She's got the gun there. He says, okay, you know, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. You know, I'm just frustrated. I mean, he's a nice guy. You'd let him in. One victim let me back in the car. I locked myself out. She opened the door for me. My gun was under the seat. What in the hell am I doing telling you that? Am I looking, am I, am I a masochist? Am I looking to be tormented further? I'm trying to show you just how awful this got how commanding these rages got you let him in your car back in your car okay she let him back in the car he strangled her with her own scarf and then he raped her corpse then he went to his mother's house while aiko ko was in the trunk because he wanted to have a conversation with his mother because he that was just that next Mm. step of like saying screw you mom or whatever so how does he finally realize he wants to kill his mom? Because I think that what's weird to me is that he interacts with his mom so much 
mm-hmm. would think that for somebody who like hates his mom and like eventually wants to kill her or realizes that he wants to kill her, they would have a weird and strained or distant relationship. Yeah. But even though she has stated like how much she hates him, they interact an awful lot. He kills Aikoko, dismembers her, brings her back to his apartment and does his thing. Okay. Now he takes the head and puts it in his trunk because he's about to go drop the head off somewhere, maybe off a cliff or something. Mm-hmm. He's got to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. But he just remembers, oh shit, I got a court appointed psych appointment with two doctors because he got out of Ascadero under a, hospital. A under, condition. yeah, now he's to get his record finally expunged of the murder and his time at a mental hospital, he's got to prove to two psychiatrists that he is an okay person. Okay, so... As he talks to the severed head. (laughs) So on September 16th, 1972, Kemper has a court-appointed psych appointments with two different doctors. And if you want to read what they said about Edmund Kemper. If I were seeing this patient without having any history available or without getting the history from him, I would just think that we were dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illness. In effect, we are dealing with two different people when we talk about the 15-year-old boy who committed the murder and the 23-year-old man who we see now before us. It is my opinion that he has made an excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or any member of society. The second psychiatrist added, He appears to have made a good recovery from such a tragic and violent split within himself. He appears to be a functioning in one piece, now directing his feelings towards verbalization and work sports, not allowing neurotic buildup within himself. Since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential, I would consider it reasonable to have a permanent expunction of his juvenile records. I'm glad he has recently expunged his motorcycle. I would hope that he would do that, seal it permanently, since this seemed more of a threat to his life and health than any threat he presently he is to presently to anyone else. He walks out of the psych. He, so he just, oh, thank you, Doc. Yeah, I agree with everything. He got stamped off. Boom. He walks out the door, opens up the trunk, and looks at Aiko Ko's face because she's staring right back at him. Her fucking head is in the trunk, and he just went and got this recommendation that he ain't a fucking lunatic. Her head is in the trunk, and he, he does goes not pose to the a danger to himself he, or anyone else. He drives to the psych center to get his court evaluated psyche valve with a head in his trunk. <laughs> what the fuck? When I read that, I was like, "You gotta be shitting me." Well, that's quite a <laughs> fail the on the psychiatrist part. At one point, he actually had a head in his trunk and he went to dinner with his at his friend's house. You know, there's like a bunch of friends over there. And then he kept, they noticed he kept going back out to his car to check on something. It's because there's a fucking head in his trunk and he wanted to play with it. Is talk he, to so it. he's like talking to it every time he goes out. To yeah, the he's car. talking to Having it. Having a conversation like, hey, I just had dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it detached was you from stew. your body. <laughs> so I had a little dumb. wine tonight. You want some wine? I'm going <laughs> to stick my dick in you later. Oh my God. I mean, yes, yeah, true. That sounds like a very vulgar conversation between a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some wine? I'm yeah. gonna stick my dick in you later. <laughs> like, 
Okay, so that's also about accurate. When <laughs> when detectives finally asked him how he got away with so many murders, he claimed um, by watching television. <laughs> mm, that's another problem in you know? society. Desensitization. The, yeah. He also killed Rosalind and Alice. Now, these were two girls that he picked up on the campus, so he would pick them all up on the campus. There was this big thing, don't ride with anyone unless they got a campus sticker, but he's got one. This is how brazen he's getting. February 5th, 1973. He picks up two girls, their best friends, Rosalind and Alice. He just got a 20, his uh, 22 pistol because the psychiatrist said, oh, you're good. Your record needs to be expunged. You're good to go. So now he's not a felon anymore. He bought a 22 pistol, a 22 caliber pistol, brand new. He picks up these two girls, Rosalind and Alice, as soon as they get into the car, Alice gets in the front, Rosalind jumps in the back. He's still on campus. It's nighttime. He points the gun at Alice, shoots her right in the head before they even said hey or whatever. Then he shoots um, Rosalind in the back seat. He shoots her in the head. Now, they're not actually dead. Oh, They're both moaning in the car. They're not in the trunk. He's still on campus. He drives down, and since all these hitchhikers are going missing, and he didn't know this at the time, they put two security guards at the front of the campus, checking people going in and out. Oh, no. He drives up. How does he get out of this? He drives up to the security guard, and in his interview, he says he looked at him, and he gave this look like, you know, you're going to let me go type of shit. I ain't got time for this. And they let him go. Despite the moaning in the back, it's like they didn't even see the girls back there. These girls were moaning. What? One of them was slouched over in the passenger seat. They probably thought she was drunk. They were both moaning, bleeding out to death. Wow. They let him just drive off. They let him fucking drive off. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's That's how brazen he's getting, though. The woman in the front seat dressed in black was partially tumbled over onto the wheel well and one in the back was covered by a blanket that Kemper had purposefully kept in the car for just for such an occasion. The guards paid more attention to the campus sticker on the window than to the moanless bundles in the car, and they let Kemper pass. For Ed, it was a moment of triumph. <laughs> so he took those girls. Now they're dying. They're not dead yet. He drives to the mother's house in the driveway, sits in front of the driveway where the mother's home. She's drinking herself to death. She's reading her erotica novels, her paperbacks, which she does. Well, yeah, you know, women like to do that. They read erotica. Oh, that's quite a generalization. Well, I'm saying. I mean, I wouldn't group myself into that. (laughs) He sits outside the car. He beheads both of the girls right there in front of the mother's home. That's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like he doesn't care. All right, let's get to the mother. Around this time, he had a realization because he knows he's a monster, right? He says plenty of times in the interviews, which I'm putting on talkmurder.com. If you have an hour of not doing anything, I recommend instead of watching the Netflix or whatever, go watch this Edmund Kemper interview. Mm. You'll you'll learn so much about the human mind. Like this guy is just anyway. Kemper finally realized these ki- these killings, and this is what he says: "Quote, they got to stop." All these innocent people are dying. All these innocent women are dying. And you know why? It's not even my fault. It's my mother's fault. 
Okay, my mother is making me kill these people. He's got mommy issues. Bad. I keep saying that, but it's like really bad. So he finally decided to kill his mother. I picked up two girls who were so much like the first two. It was unbelievable. Almost identical circumstances. And I let him go. Everything went towards killing him. And I didn't. But I'm saying, wow, it's uncanny. It was almost like it was meant to be that way. And I said, wow, I've got this got to stop. And I let them out. They never even knew what was going on. I let them out. I would have gotten away with those two being murdered. I said, no, it's got to stop. And a week later, I murdered my mother. Went back to Santa Cruz and killed her. So he had this realization. He's killing all his women. Now, he's he feels bad for it. He's not a psychopath like Ted Bundy doesn't give a shit. He knows it's got to stop. And he, he finally got this realization. My mom's been treating me like shit. Did I say this earlier? When he... I wanted to say this. When he was put in the basement, he was sleeping in the basement, dark in there. Yeah. The only thing that was in there was a furnace. Have you ever, have you seen Home Alone? Mm-hmm. Like the furnace in that Home Alone movie? It's creepy. The creepy one? That was the only thing in the basement with Edmund Kemper. You mean like did he, he didn't have a bed or anything like that? No, it was literally just that, a light switch and that creepy ass furnace. And that, if you've seen Home Alone, that thing scared the shit out of me when I was mm. a kid. Okay, so he is, and he describes it like this. The living room was earth, and my mother and my sisters would go upstairs, and they would sleep. So it'd be like, to him, an eight-year-old, it'd be like they're going up to heaven, and me, I'm going down to hell with all the rats and the demons. Does that make sense? This is what was going through his mind. Yeah. Like, this really fucked him up. And, it is fucked up. And one, one of the houses he was lived in, because they had, once the parents were divorced, he moved to Montana. The whole, the mother moved him and his sisters in Montana, the basement was one that she had to pull up. It was like under the kitchen table and it has a string. You got to pull it up like a trap door. So once he goes down there, he can't even get out. Hmm. Someone's got to pull up the damn door to let him out. Like that's fucking awful, awful, man. That's crazy. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah, it is disgusting. So anyway, he finally realizes I... It's like a. I gotta go kill my yeah, mom. Yeah, it's like a light bulb goes off. I gotta kill my mom. He goes to his huh. mom's house. His mom was actually at a PTA meeting, you know, or, or one of those meetings. Oh. Not a PTA, but you know, one of not it was PTA. like a school administration. Yeah, school administration meeting. She comes home. She gets a little drunk at the meeting. She's drinking wine. She comes home because she's an alcoholic. Yeah, she's a functioning alcoholic. She gets home. She picks up that paperback erotica novel. And Edmund comes in there, and she looks at him. Now, she's in her bed. She's trying to read her book. He walks in there. Now, he's 24, and she says, Oh, I suppose all you want to do is stay up and talk all night. And that's that. just like the grandmother. That one time, it just, you know, that was it. That was the last word she had. She ends up falling asleep because she's drunk, and she's got the paperback. She's reading that erotica. It's like on her chest. She's snoring. He goes in there with a claw hammer, hmm. you know, like some Andrew Cunanan claw hammer. Mm-hmm. And he just starts bashing her head in with the claw and a claw hammer. Okay. Until she's dead. Now, it's, it's over, right? Uh, we're missing one person from your list. Well, I'll get to that. But. <laughs> It's not over in his mind. He didn't defeat the dragon. The dragon was the mother. The The hero's oh. got to kill the dragon. Uh-oh. The hero's got to get her soul and her her spirit out of her, his realm. 
So the best way to do that is cut off her head and then have sex with the head. No, no. Okay. No. And then that still didn't work. He's still got these these issues. He's got to just get it all. He's got to tell his mother what he needs to tell her that he's been wanting to tell for 24 years. He puts his mother's head on the mantle. He yells at the mother's head for an hour straight. He takes some darts and throws at the mother's head like a fucking dartboard. Okay. Oh my God. And he, the mother's still talking. I mean, not really, but in his mind, she's still on the mantle. Darts all on her head. You're worthless. I've had sex in seven years. He takes the head, pulls out the larynx, puts it down the garbage disposal, and turns the garbage disposal on. But it keeps popping out. So even after all this is over, the mother is still nagging him because her her larynx 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 will not grind up in the oh. garbage disposal. It keeps popping out in his face. What? So then, what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> then what? I, oh and my that, gosh. That's when he finally realized he completed his mission. He finally grinded the larynx. The problem. The, from child for twenty four years, it wasn't the mother. There was a demon inside of the mother that was in the larynx. 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 It was in. It was the spirit, the demonic force in the larynx. 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 And he grinded it up in the grinder, and it kept popping out at first, all up in his face. But he finally got it grinded up, and it's done. Mother cannot yell at him anymore. Wow. <laughs> that was fucked up. <laughs> but again, where does he have sex with the mother's head in the and that's tissue? I'm going to murder my mother. I knew a week before she died, I was going to kill her. And she went out to a party. She got soused. She came home, went soused. to sleep. I was woken up by that. I got came out. I walked up to her bed. She's laying there reading a paperback. As many thousands of nights before. And she said, oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Shit. I looked at her and said, no. I said, good night. Mommy issues. And I knew I was going to kill her. You know? And I'm so cold. It's so hard. And that's the first time in 10 years I've looked at it that way. I mean, that intensely, that honestly, that hurts. Because I'm not a lizard. I'm not from under a rock. I came out of her vagina. See? Came out of my mother. And in a rage, I went right back in. Jesus. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you, my murderous son. It's one of our arguments. And I cut off her head. And I'm... And I humiliated her corpse. It's there. You know? A sick young woman, dead, because of the way she raises her son, and the way her son is raised, the way he grows up. And what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. God, I wish I had. Hmm? What do you think? Well, now I do want to say that wasn't the 
la- it was the last victim in his mind, but it was it was Easter, Easter weekend. So her best friend would have came over anyway to have dinner. She would have been like, where, you know, is your mother? Her name was Sarah Hallett. Okay, it was Easter weekend. Kemper reckoned that his mother's best friend, Sarah Hallett, would be wanted to come over for dinner. So what he did is he called her and invited her over for a surprise party that he's putting on for his mother. As soon as she walked in the door, he snaps her neck and then puts her body. So he's done killing. So he doesn't defile he, the corpse he, or anything. He, he doesn't cut the head off. He's doing this to try to protect himself more. Huh? He's doing it to protect himself. Yes. So it's not really a victim. I mean, it is, but it's not. So he snaps her neck and then puts her body in his bed. And that night, she's her dead body is sleeping in his bed. He doesn't do anything to it. And then he sleeps in his mother's bed. After he killed it. Like after, where he... yeah. And then he puts both of them in the closet in the morning. And then he drives. He gets in his car and he drives. And eventually he hits that phone booth. And that's when he decides to turn himself in. Wow. Uh... Now, he says, quote, he murdered... I know you guys won't understand this, what he says, but I actually murdered my mother through love. I still love my mother. I murdered her through love. Angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. And I watched the alcohol increase. I watched her social life drop off. I watched her get bizarre. She had terrible pain from her life, earlier life, her upbringing. Uh, a failed marriage with my father. I'm a constant reminder of that failure. I still loved my mother, and it's hard for somebody to comprehend that you murder your mother through love. It isn't a rational process. It's a very painful process. It isn't rational. And I've got to still live with that. Now we go back to the phone booth. Okay, so you guys, basically his MO was was this. The whole time he was trying to murder his mother, Mm -hmm. almost like Ted Bunny was trying to murder his ex-girlfriend. Right. And... He finally took him a while to figure it out, but he would defile the corpse. He would basically kill him, however, and then cut the heads off, bury the hands, torso, head, different parts, different counties. Now, let's talk about the arrest. Mm -hmm. He's very cooperative. When he was awaiting trial, he actually tried to kill himself twice with a ballpoint pen. Not successful. How do you kill yourself with a ballpoint pen? I guess like he tried to cut his wrist or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. He would have received the death penalty. What do you guys think he got? Like life? Um, no, because he cooperated with the FBI. So I'm going to say he got... Um, I would say life. Yeah, life or 25 to life. 25 to life? You think he's for already eight out? Oh, I think he's eight in, people. I think uh, he's in jail for life. He killed, well... I think it, if he made a deal, it was to avoid the death penalty. California had the death penalty by lethal injection at the time. But during this time period, even though it was on the... They had it, they were not executing anyone. He did help the psychiatrist and the FBI a lot. And in fact, he knew more about the human body than most pathologists did. No other than a pathologist, he contended, knew more about dead bodies than he did. For instance, he was still amused that one of the medical examiners who had made a report about one of his victims hadn't understood that he cut her Achilles tendon, 
not because of some strange murderous ritual, but to prevent rigor mortis and to aid his sexual acts with the body. Hmm. He was given eight life sentences, but, and until this day, he's 69, well, he's 70 right now. He's still in jail? Yeah, he's still in jail. Oh, I kind of didn't think he was alive. No, he's still alive. And he's in the California medical facility, or medial facility, right now, which is a maximum security. But every seven years that goes by, he is eligible for parole. And in fact, his last attempt was 2017. Now, I do want to say he's never been denied parole, but he never shows up to the parole board because he doesn't want to get out. Oh, because he thinks he'll still be a danger to people? Exactly. But every seven years, his parole comes up. His next eligibility is 2024. Now, he says he's happy in prison. Kemper asked for the death penalty, but he was denied it. And when they said, well, what should it be? He says, quote, death by torture. If anyone ever says he's denied parole, that's not true. He just doesn't show up. I can see him getting out eventually. If he showed up. Which is why we want to do this podcast in a good light (laughs) in case he ever hears it. (laughs) Fascinating. Um, And I do want to say, since he's been in prison, he has read over 5,000 hours. He has recorded over 5,000 hours of audiobooks for Books for the Blind. Hmm. And here's a sample of him reading books for blind people. Chapter 1. Goodbye, Daddy. Truly, when I was very young, way back in the 50s, I believed all of life would be like one long and perfect summer day. After all, it did start out that way. So that was uh, Flowers in the Attic, I guess is a really famous novel. He's read over 5,000 hours, and he teaches other inmates how to read on these audiobooks, too. So I think it's kind of cool if you want to have a serial killer reading to you. I wonder what he thought of the Mindhunter series. If he's still alive, I wonder if they're if he like gave. Yeah, an he opinion. is alive. No, I'm saying like I wonder if he gave an opinion on the series um, that covers him. Yeah, maybe. So what we're doing for this episode is we're going to um, do some social posts on uh, Instagram and oh, Facebook yeah. and stuff like that. We're going to give away some stickers. So all you got to do is share one of the posts and send me uh, your your address. Yeah, John at I'll send you out a sticker and a thank you note. No strings attached. I just love our listeners and I. If you're made, if you made it this far, uh, thank you for so much for supporting us and listening. At least, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so that was my Edmund Kemper story. That was for me. I did dedicate it to one of our tacos primos, Karina, because she is yes. very, very into psychology, Love and she, it. I think she'll really like this. And please weigh in on the and on the blog too. Go to talkmer.com. Find the blog post that's going to be on the front page. Leave me a comment. We'll read it out on the show. If you want to request a hometown murder or a taco special, as we're we're calling it now, that we put out every Thursday, and we'll dedicate it to you, and I'll research it for you and everything else, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Taco Supremo. Get a cool 2019 Supremo t-shirt. Get some stickers. Get some swag. Get a lot of love. Get shouted out. Get on the forum. You know, we love you guys. Thank you so much for... Uh, pushing us to the top of iTunes and we love you guys so much. So thank you so much. I am talking into the mic. My face is just small. I have a small mouth. Yeah. 
You do. I do. <laughs> I do, and I have small okay, teeth, and right. it's not proportional to my head. Okay. Jen, you need to quit school <laughs> and focus on this damn podcast. She will be now, done trying with to get school rich. very soon. I'm trying to get rich here, and you're... I'm fucking it up. Yeah, sorry. Why is there seven cups of liquor on the cake? Because table? Jen went a little overboard. I just made too much. <laughs> here, I'm not complaining. I'm consolidating. Quit your bitching. <laughs> like, there's... Holy shit. Like, I, I can guarantee, like, there's top comedians that we're beating. Not top comedians, but there's probably comedians with podcasts that we're be- beating off. <laughs> <laughs> the charts. <laughs> I, I just have a feeling I'm going to come home from work one day and this entire studio is going to be covered in towels. Towels. <laughs> Yes, essentially will. it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm heavily invested in towels right now. I came home from um, from class today, and I opened the garage door, <laughs> and John is standing there with a circle saw, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> My like, job's boom, the boom, circle boom. saw. I'm good at the circle saw. Yeah, all right. Just Jen, stop Just watching true crime. Brothers. I have true crime knowledge already. What oh do you want me to do? Have I you, just really don't have know. Have you watched the act yet? I was going to watch it. I'm like, fuck, I guess I got to do that. <laughs> you knew that. And we was did it a... that night. We did it that <laughs> night. All I, that's not how the conversation went, sir. The conversation was, oh, sir. were you Good watching sir. Were you watching the act? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was watching the act? Were you guys watching the act without me? Because I was going to watch it, but I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to get yelled at. That's how the conversation but how, went. But how would you even know what the act is unless you've actually... Looked it up. I didn't look it up, but Sometimes I was on the trailers to show, and it was on my. It was that on that case my, is all over the place. Yeah, right now. I know we're getting fucking filthy rich off of it. We're, we're not. Except our bank account still so shows yours. Hashtag free Gypsy Rose. No, no. maybe Hashtag we're. It's free interesting. Tries. <laughs> Hashtag IHOP tonight, motherfucker. <laughs> you use that term way too loosely lately. Oh, we should like get. I, we should get sponsored by. Hold on, loosely. <laughs> Actually, that would be like That'd fucking, be fucking cool. They would just pay us in pancakes, like <laughs> hash browns. I would, hash oh, browns. oh, their hash browns are so good. I would only accept payment in their Cinestack pancakes, though. <laughs> yeah, you should see what I put on the on the talkmore.com slash join. It's like I'm pretty sure you already wear socks. I'm pretty sure you already sleep on a mattress. So I don't want to say that. <laughs> Did you put that? Yeah, that's hilarious. You should say that on the show, like right now. <laughs> 